Hello, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a classical, a pod, it's a, it's a podcast <laughs> about, <laughs> it's okay, it's a we're, podcast we're about classical things, yeah. uh, old stuff, old books, old things, and it's put on by three classical educators at Veritas Academy in Austin, Texas. I am one of those. My name is AJ Hannenberg, and I am joined by Graham Donaldson. Hi. And Thomas Magby. Hello. And we are talking about a Scottish play, the name of which I can't say. You're not allowed to say the name of the play? Only in a theater. I thought, you know, we're not in a theater right now, right? Oh, really? Is that the rule? Correct. That's my understanding of it. Oh. You, yeah. Shouldn't, yeah, you should be safe to say it. But what if you break your leg as soon as you say it? What if I say it in Pig Latin? Does okay. that work? Ek meth, ek beth me. Mm. Yes. Um, when I was a kid, my grandmother invented a language what? that we she taught to us kids, and it was um, called Ovenglavish. And essentially, what you did was you just put uh, the letters O V in front of most syllables or vowels in English. So English is Ovenglavish. Um, and uh, so I would say Havalavo, Havu Avar Arvu, Mavanavam, Gravi Aviavam. But you don't do that for all words? Did you say it's only some words or all some words? Some words and syllables. I mean, it's, it's, a, diff- it's a notoriously difficult language. Um, and there's <laughs> sure. this the grammar's complex. There's, yeah. But uh, I just said, hello, how are you? My name is Graham. Got to turn on the video. One oh. sec. It's um, impressive that you, anyway, that you can speak that quickly. Yeah. Uh, and then we then it would create great hilarity when you would try to, put words like monopoly into avanglavish because it'd be like um, monopoly. <laughs> good i like it um but anyway yes that's a for you younglings at home you can uh learn do your own language this that's is an easy way to do it are we studying this language for today's episode yes this oh. was a classical language wow, okay that's and incredible. um romantic language obviously. Wow, okay it's very romantic yeah. done by the slavs the slavs slavolophilophilos um okay no today we are going i'm there's um They've been reading, so our, our seniors have been reading Shakespeare plays, and uh, me and Hannenberg and another uh, English teacher, Miss Ball, who friends of the podcast will remember from way back when, um, an earlier episode, like episode four that she was on, um, we co-teach the class, all three of us, and they've been reading all sorts of plays, and the one that I have been with, one of the groups that I'm in charge of is Macbeth, and I've been rereading Macbeth, and there was just uh, a motif that stood out to me in the first act that I thought was very interesting and pertained not only to like government and authority, but also just to the soul's health and, uh, and, and the notion of virtue, like how virtue works itself out in not only in a body politic, but also in like a human person. Uh, so I know that sounds a little convoluted, but so um, in the first act of Macbeth, uh, so we, we've in earlier podcasts, I've said that if you want to do these kinds of analytical interpretations of a play, you can't just pick one example of something and then blow it out of proportion. So like the dude with the sword in Beowulf, <laughs> that it's From like, it's technology. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that's not fair. But what is totally fair is to, if you can find sort of a heap of arguments or if you can find a, a heap of images and they all sort of work with each other, then you can bring some sort of analytical framework uh, to the story. So the one that uh, that exists in the first act of Macbeth, and I'm now reading it very slowly to try to see if it continues its way on. I know it continues its way on in terms of the plot, um, is this idea of that, um, of like 
that that a good king grow uh, brings health to the land almost like a good farmer. So like the land is going to produce um, in a healthy way if you have a good leader in charge. And then when you have a bad leader in charge, you're going to get the souls. So you're going to get the health, the desolation of, of the land. Um, Shakespeare didn't invent this. Uh, this, I'm sure, goes way back. Um, probably the most famous example of this in the Middle Ages is the myth of the Fisher King. You guys know any of this? Know the myth of the Fisher King? Don't think so. So the Fisher King is a king who has been mortally wounded and he's slowly dying. He either got stabbed in the gut or in the groin in some sort of battle. And he can now no longer produce an heir. And so he's dying. And he's not going to have an heir. And because he is uh, mortally wounded and cannot produce an heir, his lands have also no longer produced grain. So, like, the crops aren't growing, there's a famine, and so it's kind of, like, um, symbolic of the king's infertility. And so the king spends his days going down to the waters to fish to try to feed, bring, get enough food to feed his people. Um, and, of course, fishing is an incredibly fickle thing. You can't really plan your fishing, and, and you either, like, get a lot or you don't. It's a lot, you know, it's less reliable than crops. So the Fisher King is kind of this, um, this sad story. And then uh, it's part of the Arthur Grail romance, and eventually uh, whichever knight finds the grail on his way back to bring it to Arthur, like, takes a detour and goes and pours some of the grail um, like what li- liquid from the grail sauce. onto the king grail sauce, grail sauce. um and it heals the fisher king and all of a sudden the king who could no longer uh, produce an heir and his lands were dying is now healed because of the grail that represents christ or mary or whatever anyway um so there's a, a passage in in um what got me cued into this is uh a scene where when um duncan is going to give macbeth uh, all of the spoils of battle. Um, Can I give a brief? Idea? Yeah, okay, a little bit. Okay, so Macbeth. Um, yeah, so uh, a little overview of the play. So this is a play where Macbeth and Banquo are coming back from war, and they are these nobles, these thanes, uh, and there was a rebellion. Um, uh, the Norwegians were rebelling, the Norwegians were invading, and then there was this thane of Cawdor who was... Uh, uh, allied himself with the Norwegians and Macbeth and Banquo come in and they absolutely throw down and win the war for King Duncan. Um, and they kill all the rebels and all this kind of stuff. Well, uh, Macbeth and Banquo are coming home and three witches appear and, uh, pro- they have beards. They got beards. Um, so these, these elderly women, yeah, he says, yeah, you should be women, but your beards forbid me to say that you are so or exactly. something, something yeah. like that. He's you're, like, I think you're ladies, mm-hmm. but Pretty hairy. Actually, I think that plays into this idea of, of like nature and natural order of things. That the witches are very earthy, um, and then but also sort of like go back and forth between what's natural and orderly, but then what's also completely disorderly. Um, They're using natural things like frogs' foot and toes and stuff for ways other than they are intended in order to do wicked things and their forms are hard to tell and they're also like these creatures that like slip in and out of ephemerality like they disappear and that's not natural anyway so these witches come and they say what's up uh, Macbeth you are going to be Thane of Glamis and Macbeth's like I already am and he's like are you going to be Thane of Cawdor <laughs> yeah, yeah news to nobody and he's like you're going to be Thane of Cawdor and he's like mm, okay and you're going to be king hereafter 
And Macbeth uh, immediately goes, whoa, that's crazy. Does that mean I'm going to kill the king? Which is like, I don't know why Macbeth, that's Macbeth's first thought. But anyway, uh, and then they say to Banquo, uh, hey, Banquo, you're going to, your kids are going to be king one day, but you're not. And Banquo's like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and then uh, immediately the, the the witches leave, and then a dude rides up and is like, "Hey Macbeth, um, Duncan just made you Thane of Co- a Co- Condor." Um, I'm thinking you're saying Condor. Three yeah. days of Condor, yeah. great movie. Um, but yeah, you just made you Thane of Condor, and him and Banquo look at each other and they're like, "Whoa, crazy." Um, anyway, so this is the scene where Macbeth just pulls up to the king and the king is going to grant this thanedom upon Macbeth. This isn't really a podcast about the whole play of Macbeth. Um, the rest of the play is Macbeth murders Duncan, becomes king, is, and then uh, is immediately beset by, the, by supernatural, not only guilt, but then also uh, madness. Um, his, what happens to him is he no longer sleeps. Um, and what happens to his wife, who's in on this thing, is she she goes crazy. And they have, I mean, they have other natural consequences. Yep. They have no friends because they keep on murdering people. Yep. And turns out they're real bad at governing. They've got no friends. They can't have kids uh, because it turns out that Lady Macbeth kind of like sells her soul to the devil at the beginning of act, uh, scene three. Um, they don't yeah. have any kiddos. What? A little bit. Like yeah. Kind of. Yeah. How do you kind of sell your soul? To well, the she's not like she's like, you know. Uh, I, well, no, she, she, she asks the evil heat spirits to inhabit her and unsex her. That's right. And turn, basically turn everything that is nourishing about me to bitterness. Turn her milk into bitterest gall. Yeah. I mean, that's not, that's, that's not, you're not going to be a, a good vessel, holy vessel for a child with that, that kind point, of attitude. No, no you're, you are correct. Um, anyway, and so, um, so the murder takes place and, um, um, and then Macbeth becomes king and then eventually justice gets served because Macduff... Um, who is a tr- loyal servant to Duncan, sort of finds out about everything, and then kills Macbeth. Um, and then, It's the coolest thing, because Macbeth has gotten the thing that he'll, he, he can't be killed by man born of woman. Mm-hmm. And then Macduff comes up and he's like, you can't kill me. You were born of woman. He's like, I was, guess what? I was C-section, bro. Yeah, and, then, and then murders him. Yeah. It's like technicality. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's also the witch. So the witches say this in a very true, like, um, you know, when the, when the oracles kind of screw you up by telling you something true that you, they, they play on your impressions of things. Right. And they also say like, you're not, you're going to be king. You'll stop becoming king when the wood, when I think it's Elsinore or whatever, when the woods, no, Burnham wood, Burnham wood. Isn't it Dunsinane? No, Dunsinane's his house. I think it's Burnham Wood um, approaches your gates. And he's like, well, it takes trees a long time to grow, so that's not going to happen for a long time. And then one of his little dudes is like, "Uh, Macbeth, you won't believe it, but the the woods are walking towards the castle. And Macbeth's like, oh, crap. Well, it turns out it's an army carrying branches. Right. To disguise their numbers. To disguise their numbers. Now, fun fact, um, J.R.R. Tolkien, he says that was one of his greatest disappointments in all of literature, that the trees themselves did not march against uh, evil Macbeth. He wanted the trees to march against Macbeth out of rage for basically destroying God's holy order by killing Duncan. And that's why he created the ants in Lord Lord of the Rings, Rings. so he could have trees that throw down. Actually walk. Good. Um, and uh, cool. Anyway, um, so that's sort of the the overview of the plot about Macbeth. But there's this there is this one interaction between Duncan, Macbeth, and Banquo when Duncan is giving Macbeth his um, thanedom, um, and then it's uh, uh, and then this 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 idea is kind of picked up with Lady Macbeth in the next scene when she's asking the evil spirits to take away her nature or her natural 
inclinations. And then something that happens when, when Duncan is killed. So here it is. Okay. Um, so when Macbeth is, um, well, no, we'll come back to that. All right. So here's that scene where Duncan is, um, giving, uh, Macbeth his, his, uh, due. He's given it. He's like, uh, all I, you know, Duncan says, only I have left to say more than is thy due than more than all can pay. So he's like, here is the thing of, of Condor or Con, Cowdor or whatever, Con- whatever Condor. it is. Condor. Um, and Macbeth says, the service and the loyalty I owe in doing it pays itself. Your highness's part is to receive our duties and our duties are to your throne and state children and servants, which do but uh, what they should by doing everything safe towards your love and honor. So Macbeth says to the king, um, I've only essentially been doing my duty and it is natural king. It is your part to receive our duties and it is our duty um, to uh, uh, our duties to your throne and your and the state children and servants. So we, this is what we're supposed to do. Duncan says this, welcome hither. I have begun to plant thee and will labor to make thee full of growing. This is what Duncan says to Macbeth. Duncan basically says, I, as the king, am now basically like turning my attentions to you, Macbeth. I have planted you in the ground and I will make you full of growing. And then he turns to Banquo, uh, the other guy, and he says, Noble Banquo, um, that hast no less deserved, nor must be known, no less to have done so. Let me enfold thee and hold thee to my heart. So he's like, Oh, Banquo, I love you too, buddy. Right. And Banquo says, There. If I grow, the harvest is your own. And then um, they continue on. So you see the little metaphor that's already here, right? That the king is laboring to grow his subjects, his, his people. And, um, and, and Banquo says, oh, you know, uh, whatever good is done to me by your, you know, your attention and your favor, O king, is a harvest that you have. Um, then the scene continues on, and um, uh, and then Macbeth leaves uh, by say, uh, um, but in his heart we all know he's planning on doing some murdering. And then Duncan ends the scene by saying this: when looking at Macbeth walking away, he's like, "Wow, true worthy Banquo, he is full so valiant, Macbeth, and in his commendations I am fed. It is a banquet to me." Um, let's after him whose care is gone before to bid us welcome. It is a peerless kinsman. So, so Duncan says that I've received my bounty. Like I am fed by Macbeth's um, loyalties. Um, so I, as the king, have been doing my gardening, and my citizens, my 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 lieutenants, have been growing up in virtue, and then they prevent their, they present their fruits to me, and I am fed by this. This is this is kind of that metaphor. Um, and I would sort of posit that this is kind of the metaphor of the, of that sort of medieval order of kingdom, kinghood, mm-hmm. is that, um, in, you have a good king and, um, and when you have a good king, you have fruit, you have good subjects and you've got this sort of like reciprocal, um, relationship that goes back and forth. The king is fed and the kingdom is healthy, um, because, like, gardening takes a lot of time and attention. This is something that I have learned this past summer um, by watching my garden slowly, like, like die. <laughs> so, but now you're at a point where it is feeding you in the same way, yeah. right? But it takes that time and effort, but then you get a reward from it. Yeah. Now, this metaphor continues on. And so, now, 
um, so we have this metaphor of of gardening that the king's job is he sort of is is raising up these plants and these crops to feed him and to feed his kingdom. Um, Banquo, when he when the when the witches are coming in and they are talking to Macbeth about the future, both Macbeth and Banquo talk about how unnatural it is to be able to to do this, to talk about this, that. Um, by doing what they're doing is they are, they are the weird sisters. And that doesn't just mean that they're like wacky. Um, the weird sisters of the witches is that they are doing things that are unnatural. And being able to tell the future is, is one thing. Banquo um, says, just sort of in passing, says this to the, the witches that sort of adds again into this theme. Um... um in the name of truth, are you fantastical or that indeed which outwardly you show? My noble partner, uh, you greet with present grace and great pre uh, uh, prediction of noble having and of royal hope that he, can, that he seems wrapped with all. Uh, to me, you speak not. So he says to the witches, like, hey, you, what you just said to Macbeth, like, look at him. He's like thinking about it over there. You haven't said anything to me. If you can look into the seeds of time and say which grain will grow and which will not speak then to me who neither beg nor fear your fever, your fears, nor your hate, uh, your favors, nor your hate. So Banquo's got this little line saying like, hey, witches, if you seem to have this ability to tell me which seeds are going to grow and which seeds aren't going to grow, well, then let me know what's my future. What's what do I get? Um, and of course, by doing yeah, this, crack my fortune cookie. Ladies. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the way that he describes it is telling which seeds are going to grow. Um, and by doing this, by trying to sort of jump the natural way of things. So the natural way of things is you don't know which seeds are going to grow and which seeds are. And so what you do is you plant a lot of them. And you plant lots of seeds and the ones that success, you, you sort of um, baby. And you, and you let those ones go and the rest of the seeds that aren't going to make it. Because it's true. Every seed that gets planted isn't going to grow into, you know, a tomato plant or whatever. Um, and so, uh, the natural order of things is to let it unfold as it should, but we as human beings don't want to do that. We all have this desire to be able to have assurance of the future, especially when we're talking about power and money and status and this kind of stuff. And so Banquo and Macbeth, when presented with the opportunity to step outside the natural order of things, know the future, someone tells them, Hey, I can predict the future. And that sort of seduction, um, um, well, and, well, it ends up badly for them, right? Yes. By by knowing the future, this is this is a, a bad thing. So well, it's like one of those weird self-fulfilling prophecies. Would Macbeth have made any motion to become king if the yeah. sisters hadn't said anything? Exactly. Now, Macbeth so quickly turns his attention. Well, Macbeth, so as soon as the witches like whisper, hey, you're going to be king hereafter, Macbeth's like, is it true? Am I going to murder Duncan? It's like, whoa, we just didn't say nothing about murder. He could have like, f you know, fell off the ox cart and uh, turns out that you're in his will or something, right? right. Yeah. And I, I mean, he's encouraged to it by his wife, isn't he? Like he isn't fully mm -hmm. like, I'm going to do this until she's like, this is happening. He's not fully, I'm going to do this, but he's definitely says it's, pro I'm, it's murder. Yeah. In fact, he thinks he decides it's going to be murder before he goes to his wife because Duncan, in the next scene before Macbeth goes to talk to his wife, Duncan's like, hey, guess what? Um, my son, um, Malcolm, is going to be king. And Macbeth's like, all right, well, 
Murder it is. Oh, what is it? It's <laughs> that's a step on which I must. I must uh, fall or yeah, I must step oh, over. I must or, or like step or tumble off off or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Malcolm is. Okay, so Macbeth and Banquo by hearing the witches and allowing them to talk to them are allowing themselves to like get out of the natural order, the natural way of things. Oh, we got copies of the book. For everyone. Um, So the witches are presenting this seductive thing by saying, hey, by telling you the future and they're doing it by all sorts of unnatural means. When I mean unnatural, I mean taking things and using them in the way that they're not like using them in, a, in the wrong way. So it's famous, the double, double boil in trouble. They're taking these natural elements like frog's foot, and like, what is it? Tongue of frog and eye of newt and tongue of dog and all this kind of stuff. All these things that we consider, we consider grotesque and they're making something out of it to try to basically get out of nature. To, to supersede the natural order of things, to see the future. Um, before Banquo and Macbeth show up, the witches are talking about like what they did that day. And one witch is like, I was really hungry and I saw this woman and she was eating nuts and I was like, give me some nuts. And the woman was like, get out of here, you gross hag. And then I, so I decided that I was going to conjure up a wind to blow her husband's boat into the shore. Like she's like, I found out her husband is a, is a sailor on the boat Tiger. That's the name of the boat. And so... Uh, I need some help, ladies, um, to to destroy his boat. And the ladies are like, totally, you can have my wind. And they're like, awesome. Right? So they can use this sort of magic. This uh, this, this is where I struggle with, with, the, with the interpretation. Are the witches using natural? Are they like? No, clearly they're, they're outside the bounds of, of, of natural order. They are wicked. They are not. They are not, like, using God's holy order the way it was intended. Is that sure. fair? Okay. That's what it sounds like. Okay. So then, um, so here they are, and they are sort of on the outside of nature or at the margins of nature, um, and they're pres- giving Macbeth and Banquo the, the option to um, know things unnaturally. Okay. Um, the, the, that conversation between Duncan and Macbeth is kind of a defense or kind of a, a little picture of how things ought to work in power structures in society. There are those in authority, there are those under authority, and those in authority should be good and should work towards the goodness of their people. And when gardeners, the, gardeners, yep. and then the people who are the plants um, will produce fruit and life and health, and that is not only going to be good for the king but it is also going to be good for the kingdom. So that, that's the natural order of things. That's how, at least in the, in the medieval Christian mind, God set up the world to work. So when we talk about the divine right of kings, which is that thing we all learn in ninth grade history, or at least that's when I learned it, in ninth grade history is like this great, terrible thing that the glorious French Revolution finally rid us of. Um, sorry, my sarcasm runs deep on that. Um, I hate the French Revolution. Um, that's what, that's what we're talking about. That's what we mean when we say the divine right of kings. It's not just that, like, uh, all the men of society were like, hey, if we can convince all these morons to believe that our kids are the best thing ever, then we can keep our power. Like, that's the cynical way to look at it. The non-cynical way to look at it is there needs to be those in control. Or there needs to be uh, some sort of authority structure. And... Um, 
And so those in authority need to be good uh, and work towards the health of their subjects. And those who are subject need to work towards the health of the monarch. And these two things need to go back and forth. And when these things break, then you have a whole host of problems. When the subjects are wicked, but the monarch is good, you're going to have friction. When the monarch is bad and the subjects are good, you're going to have friction. And there's all sorts of Shakespeare. When the monarch mm-hmm. is bad and the subjects are bad, you have Crete. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so this is... A, sorry. I just read the Bible verse. Where, where they said there's no Where he's Cretans. like, it's an axiom that Cretans are like all liars and thieves and basically scumbags. And he goes... This is true. So be on your guard. Like in the Bible, it talks how do you about, read that? And like, if you're a, if you're a, uh, if you live on Crete and you're a Christian, like, how do you preach that verse? Uh, you like, I mean, you own Crete it? is notorious. We still call people Cretans. Cretans. I know yeah. it's terrible. Poor Cretans. Unless they earned it, isn't Unless, that the, like? Yeah, they, apparently they earned it. Like even God was like, yeah, these guys are kind of a mess. If you live on the island of Crete and listen to our podcast, give us a defense of why your <laughs> island is perfectly fine. I think we were the second-ranked podcast in Macedonia. God, yeah. Uh, I think in the arts section, though, for what it's worth. But anyway, <laughs> arts section in Macedonia. Yeah. We we see you guys. Some true listeners yeah. out there. Yeah. 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 Hey, that's all it takes. I don't care. Um, rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, where was I? Oh yeah. So this is a play where you have a bad king and good subjects. Eventually, like uh, Macduff is a good is a good subject. You've you've got Banquo is a good guy. You have good subjects and a bad king, and um, the subjects eventually kill the king. And it's not Duncan, but kill Macbeth, and that's not a bad thing. Um, the play starts off with a rebellion, and um, Duncan's saying like how it's a good thing that we killed the rebels because if we didn't, um, uh, they would have brought. What does he say? Um, I can't find it. Um, but basically they're saying that uh, he was like an illness, a sickness in the kingdom. And by killing him and cutting him out, we're going to stay healthy. We can keep, sort of take these cancerous cells out kind of thing. Um, and then Macbeth is still one of these, these cancerous cells in the, bo- in the body politic. Um, for fun, uh, a play where you have uh, a... W- yeah, another play where you've got like a wicked king. And, well, a wicked king and... I don't know if he's a wicked king, but you have subjects that decide they're just going to take out the king, and it's probably not all that fair on the king, is uh, Richard II. Maybe not. Richard II kind of had it coming. Um, but that's another another one of Shakespeare's plays that sort of deals with this theme. When is it acceptable to take down an authority placed over you by God? Um, uh, anyway. But in the case of Richard II, does that go better? Does that go better than Macbeth? Yeah. In that one, it's more of a, like... Everyone respects the, he's placed an authority over us by God, but he's, he's like really pushing it with his, uh, pettiness. And on this one, Duncan did not deserve to die. Um, and, and Macbeth totally deserves to die. And he's not, and Macbeth wasn't like placed an authority by God. Macbeth jumped the line. Macbeth used unnatural means to get there. Um, okay. Just to continue on this theme of, uh, nature, um, um, let's see, uh, is the speech that Lady Macbeth gives in the next scene. So she gets a letter from her husband saying that this has happened. And she's like, oh, Macbeth's never going to kill Duncan. He's too much of a wussy, which is hilarious because the whole couple of actors talk about how valiant Macbeth is. And there's like some really bloody descriptions about how Macbeth like cuts a dude in half from navel to chops. Uh, and so Macbeth is not a wussy. 
Um, but Lady Macbeth says he doesn't have it in him to murder. She then, very much sounding like one of the witches, um, gives this speech about how if they're going to do this thing, and if they're going to take the throne, they are going to have to put away their own bodily nature. She, Macbeth, Lady Macbeth basically says, I need my body to not work in the way that it's intended so that I can ignore all of those things that are going to cause me to stop killing somebody. Because murder is unnatural. Because so murder is unnatural. you have to embrace the unnatural to get And there. your body was also, like, your very human nature was set up in a way to not want to do it. So Lady Macbeth calls on the darkness um, to uh, uh, un- make her unnatural so that she can go about doing these things. So I'm just going to read that section. Okay. Um, the raven himself is horse that croaks the fatal entrance of Duncan under my battlements. Come, you spirits, that tend on mortal thoughts, unsex me here, and fill me from the crown to the toe top full of direst cruelty. Make thick my blood, stop up the access and passage to remorse, that no compunctions visitings of nature shake my fell purpose, nor keep peace between the effect and it. Come to my woman's breasts and take my milk for gall, you murdering ministers. Wherever in your sightless substance you wait on nature's mischief. Sorry, when, uh, wherever in your sightless substance you wait on nature's mischief. Come thick night and pall thee in the dunmost smoke of hell, that my keen knife should see not the wound it makes, nor heaven peep through the blanket of the dark to cry, hold, hold. Probably one of Shakespeare's most chillingest passages. It's one of the best speeches in Shakespeare. It's so good. It's just, it's so terrifying. And what she is asking for, she's basically like asking like the devil to give her, to take away her humanity and give her this unnatural power of lacking remorse and, and giving her cruelty. Yeah, you ghosts come and make me all freaky and terrible. It's so chilling. She says she wants no light. Thick night and pall in the dunness smoke of hell so that no one can see my knife move. So hell smoke it up so that I can't see the wound exactly. and heaven can't see me making it. Um, earlier, Macbeth says that he, sa- he says, stars hide your fires um, so that there's no bit of light that can see to my blackest desires, which is, yes, where um, Mumford and Sons get, the, get that line for, which is maybe rethink that song. I was like trying to think of the lyrics of that song because it's basically Macbeth saying like, hey, everyone turn out the lights so I can... So I can murder this guy and then also not see it because that would, you know, rough me up if I actually saw it. Yeah, in um, Macbeth, he's almost, he's kind of like, oh, I don't want to look at this thing that I have to do. Mm-hmm. And he's, at this point, he's not going nearly as far as his wife. His yes. wife is like, it's game time. Let's right. get cruel with it. And she has to kind of like convince him yes. into his ambition. She does convince him into his ambition. Yeah. Um, and, um, but for her, she asks the demon, she asks the darkness to take away her femininity, that all of the, the aspects of the, the feminine that she has, she, she wants to sort of um, sacrifice for the power of taking the throne, of being able to do this vile murder. Her, um, unsex me here. Take, take the milk that I have and bring it into bitterest gall. Um, later on, we find out that Lady Macbeth cannot have children. Mm. Um, and, um, 
so there's almost like a natural consequence to it, right? That the demons were like, yeah, sure, I'll unsex you, and now you can't bear a child. Does she find that out after yeah. that scene? Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. She finds it out way after the murder, and um, Lady Macbeth ends up losing her mind, and she always and she thinks her hands are always bloodied. Um, and so she's constantly washing her hands. Well, isn't um, that the dream scene mm-hmm. where she's, she's like up sleepwalking? Well, she's, she's up sleepwalking and she keeps rubbing her hands saying out, out damned spot, thinking that there's blood all over her hands, which is a line of Shakespeare. I always remember because it was the thing my dad said every time he let the dog outside out, <laughs> out damned spot. I was like, our dog's name wasn't spot, but, um, but he would say it. And I was like, why's dad swearing? And then I read Macbeth and I was like, Oh, he's just being funny. So weirdly enough, that scene, the, the lady Macbeth, Crazy sleepwalking scene? crazy mm-hmm. scene. So I, I directed a version of Macbeth. Eighth if you grade. remember, eighth grade, it was terrible. Yeah, I was a ghost. I, I was a witch. No, I was a ghost. I was a ghost of a dead king. Yeah, you were a ghost of a dead king. H- half of the way I conceived it was terrible. No one could see what was happening. No one could hear anything. It was really goofy. I said it in Arizona. There were, there were, it was ill-conceived. But, but uh, why, one of my why, students. Why Arizona? Uh, just, uh, I wanted to set it in modern day. They were killing the governor. Okay. Instead of the king. Okay. And it was easier because we could dress in Western clothes because we don't have a whole lot of like medieval dress. Sure. And so, but the the performance given there, I have only ever seen one other professional Shakespearean Macbeth that comes, or Lady Macbeth that comes even close to how she delivered it. It is still one of the best versions of it I've ever seen because I think she had some stage fright. And so there was that vulnerability mixed in with all the rest and she just absolutely n- nailed it. And so if you're listening, I still remember that as one of the best deliveries ever. That's when that person was in eighth grade, right? Yeah. Seventh or eighth grade. It was like, there was that weird vulnerability and switched. It was like, it was like watching a woman fall to pieces in front of you. It was awesome. Wow. Um, anyway, so, um, then, um, I forgot where we were. Where were we in the story? Out damn spot. All right. So Lady Macbeth ends up losing her mind. And so she gets... Um, well, she, she basically gets what she asks for. She asks to be unnatural. And then as the play goes on, she ends up being unnatural. She loses her rational faculties. Um, her, her mind and body no longer work the way that nature intended. Um, she can't sleep. Um, she uh, is, is crazy. Um, a fix, she sees things that aren't there. Um, and she can no longer have children. Macbeth himself also loses sleep. He can no longer, um, he can no longer sleep. And he is beset and um, um, by ghosts, uh, they haunt him. Um, but when Duncan gets murdered, there's this scene I was just flipping through and I couldn't find it fast enough. I can't, I don't really know where it is. Um, if you just give me one, maybe it's scene two. Um, uh, maybe, or there's, there's a... Um, um, Apologies, I can't find it. Anyway, there's a, so when when Macduff gets murdered, uh, the next morning there are like serving people talking about the, what happened that night, and when uh, and it was a crazy night. There was a wild storm that came out of nowhere, like a clear sky, and then all of a sudden lightning and, and hail and storm, and the animals went nuts. And uh, the image that I always remember from reading this in high school was that horses, the horses ate each other. There was one horse that ate another horse in the stall. 
And so you had this sort of unnatural uh, occurrences that happened that that by when Duncan gets murdered, nature itself begins to experience some nature begins to experience the unnatural Um, that when a great evil is is done against the the order of the universe, that somebody who is in charge um, and who is responsible for the health of many and was ordained by God is killed, um, um, nature almost has like a violent reaction to that thing, uh, that um, the way that things normally work don't work anymore. Storms out of nowhere, horses eating each other. Wasn't Cannibal Horse a Cannibal Corpse parody cover band? I have no idea. Yeah. What's Cannibal Corpse? Is that no, a, it's is it's that like a band? metal band. Oh. This is making a joke. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> um, <laughs> Didn't land, obviously. Um, so then... Um, so I'm trying to think of like, okay, how do we bring this this whole thing together? That when you, that I was just thinking about your podcast last week, Hannenberg. That doing a great evil, or when you do an evil thing, you you are doing something unnatural, like you are you are stepping outside of the way that things are supposed to be, and in order to do an evil, you have to. Um, you sort of have to twist twist health. Does this make sense? Um, do you want to read that scene? It's, do you know where it is? It's page 73 if you want to do that. Oh, cool. Yeah, I do want to read that. It's the bottom of the page. 73? Yeah, just while flipping to find it. It's act two, scene four. And then while oh, getting cool. there, even when it's Duncan who's murdered, um, here lay Duncan, his silver skin laced with his golden blood, and his gashed stabs looked like a breach in nature for Ruin's wasteful entrance. That's, a, that's an earlier scene, but even just to add to your theme of nature being destroyed. Good. Yes, here it is. Um, um, it is unnatural. Yeah, so uh, the old man and Ross, so Ross is another, t- uh, are talking about what's happened. Want me to be the old man? Uh, sure. You can be the old man. I'll be Ross. Three score and ten I can remember well, within the volume of which time I have seen hours dreadful and things strange, but this sore night hath trifled former knowing ha good father thou seest the heavens as troubled with man's act threatening his bloody stage by the clock tis day and yet dark night strangles the traveling lamp is it night's predominance or the day's shame that darkness does the face of earth entomb when living light should kiss it tis unnatural even like the deed that's done on tuesday last a falcon towering in her pride of place was by a mousing owl hawked at and killed. And Duncan's horse, a thing most strange and certain, beauteous and swift, the minions of their race, uh, turned wild in nature, broke their stalls, flung out, contending against obedience as they would make war with mankind. Tis said they eat each other. They did so to the amazement of mine eyes that looked upon it. And then Macduff comes in and they continue on to talk about those, about these things. So, when the king is killed, uh, nature has sort of like a like an illness, a flare up of of uh, discord, disharmony. Go thinking back to your podcast, and I, I'm just trying to think like, okay, this doesn't happen anymore. Like this isn't a thing that we experience in the world, or it does, and we just don't have eyes to see it. Right? Like when there's comets in the sky, does that mean bad things are happening? Um, or these kinds of things, when a when a virus ravages the land, um, uh, we don't have sort of horses eating each other. 
or that kind of thing. But what is like Shakespeare's point, or what is the if this uh, if that's sort of the motif or the metaphor that that um, um, that nature turns into discord at the, at the killing of a king? Um, to me, that sort of makes poetic sense, but I can't quite put into words why I feel like that's like it's an appropriate thing. Like it's, yes, it's it it makes lo- it makes symbolic sense to me that the horses would eat each other after Duncan's murder, but I can't quite figure out why. I think there's several things going on. So one thing that we haven't sort of talked about in containing the attitude toward the divine right of kings, we I think we've talked about it on other podcasts, <coughs> but it was that the job of king was not one that you wanted. Yeah. Uh, there's the sword of Damocles. It's a it's a famous tale that says being a king is like having a sword tied by a hair above your head. Never know when you're going to get killed. Uh, Solon, the legendary king of, I think, Athens, mm-hmm. was press ganged into being king. He's, he didn't want it. He wanted to be a farmer. And so it was kind of an old adage that if you are wise, you will refuse the kingship. It's a recipe for heartache, difficulty, assassination, uh, discord. You can never trust your friends again. Like no one wants to be king. And so if you have a good king like Duncan, and then you murder him, that is that is absolutely against the natural order. Macbeth clearly was not suited to being king, right? He had to be convinced by his, his wife and by other people around him to do the thing that needed to be done, unlike Duncan, who, when we first meet him, is beheading a someone who is bringing unrest to his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Right? He does the thing that needs to be done. He rewards those under him. He is kind. He even promises to see them grow more. And so after getting his promise of consistent goodness... He re- Macbeth repays him with murder. And even the very act itself of murder is inhuman, right? To kill another person is not something like, we're not going to eat him. We're not like animals that do kill each other for food. And so this is outside of the natural order. Mm-hmm. This, this murder is one of ambition and even strange ambition. He was promised greatness mm-hmm. in more than one way and took it of his own accord by, unnat- by unnatural means. Mm-hmm. And so the world is upset the natural order king and subject is undone and then the natural order of man is also undone and it's reflected in nature is that a fair i think so i mean a couple of interesting things for me is in this medieval mind and i mean i know shakespeare's renaissance but um he really is still holding to this view that in the midi in this this medieval mind is that there was that nature also reflected the way government was supposed to be set up. Um, and um, insofar as the government was functioning properly, nature was also functioning properly. And when government was not functioning properly, nature was not functioning properly. We sort of as modern people don't really have this view at all. We don't really connect these things at all. In government fact, is entirely a construct of man. Or even the think. opposite. Like, so there's probably even some on the on the fringes of some more like anarcho-environmentalism that say nature will only be running properly when there is no more government or when, when, there, when maybe even if human right. beings aren't even here. So, um, um, but in the medieval world, um, there was a f- structure to nature. Uh, there was a, uh, that nature was part of the realm of man and insofar as man ordered his civic society the way it was supposed to, with a good king serving his subjects and the subjects submitting and loving the king, that's kind of the way it was supposed to go, then nature would follow suit. Um, um, even the, the, the concept of horse, like the reason why the horse was so romanticized in that 
I mean, it was because horses would only allow, um, would only submit to, to man because they knew that man was going to bring about a good thing, right? So, like, the king upon a horse is this vision of uh, man and nature working together in this sort of majestic um, relationship, that the ho- that nature was going to support man as long as man was going to go off and do um, uh, noble noble things, and then a horse would un- would unsaddle or uh, would um, his rider if you know he was doing bad stuff and that kind of thing. So, um, but we don't have that today. We we have sort of the d- divorce of that. Uh, when we we don't have comments in the sky every time there's a presidential election, although we did this year. Um, is that true? Yeah, oh. in July yeah. during the, the like the high of the election cycle, there was a big comet uh, that was in the night sky for a number of days in in July. And we also just finished a meteor shower that lasted like a couple weeks. I know. Um, if we were more superstitious folks, we would say that you know, um, in inauspicious times were upon us. But hey, whatever. And we have planets aligning. If yeah. yeah. Well, this is the thing. So it's like, okay, um, uh, what if nature still is continuing to, to operate in this way? It's just we, don't, don't, we just don't believe it anymore. We're just like, oh, no, it's just Jupiter and Saturn getting really close to each other. <laughs> so hearkening back to my last podcast, reading Augustine, because yeah. he he they were all into astrology back then. And he's yeah. like, yes. is astrology a real deal? And so he's like, okay, how do we disprove it? Well, say you got twins and they're born pretty much one right after the other. And one twin is really successful, and the other twin is really unsuccessful. They had the same stars, you guys. No, no, that was like, a really important minute. That yeah, like yeah. Where, yeah. where the planets, planets became unaligned or whatever. He's like, that twins right there disprove mm-hmm. that kind of nonsense. Yeah. Um, and the other th- sort of interesting thing that this brings up, Megby, is going back to another podcast that you talked about in terms of um, when we were talking about psychology and the soul's health and right thinking about things. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which episode that was. Pastoral theology yeah, in the classical yeah. tradition. Um, so then here's Lady Macbeth who has said, I want to divorce myself from my body mm-hmm. in order that I can get power. Yeah. And it... She gets it. And she gets it and she is miserable. And destroys her. And Macbeth has a lesser version of it. He goes along with Lady Macbeth, but he too, he pulls trigger or holds the knife and he no longer sleeps. And so he is now living an unnatural existence. Um, and so, I don't know, there is something to think about, like, um, um, are there examples of, of things that, that happen nowadays where people are willing to give up their very bodies in order to gain power um, and, that, and then getting it and it not going the way that they, they thought so? Maybe not their very bodies, but, like, the natural order of things. Um, anyway, I can't think of anything that wouldn't get the podcast into trouble. Um, but I don't know about natural order, but like what you're describing is like you go and get your JD and then you work a hundred hours a week to make a bunch of money. Is that yeah, not, I mean, I guess that's fair. Yeah. Some, um, a pursuit of wealth that puts human thriving as a lower good than mm-hmm. the wealth you generate. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, is that close to what you're getting at? Sure. Yeah, no, that is. Um, yeah, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth can definitely be seen as like the ultimate power couple. Like they are kind of what's that? What was that really bad television House show? House of Cards. And, House of Cards. Yes, yes, and yes. And hey, it was ex- the first couple seasons were excellent. Mm. 
the first once he became was president it was meh. Yeah, the but. first season was not bad, and then I stopped watching. It got weird. It did get way worse. Um, anyway, but um, that kind of idea, yes, that in order to gain the ultimate power, uh, going and doing unnatural things. Um, so uh, my the sort of thesis of this podcast is is that that interpretation of Macbeth is also buoyed up by the language that Shakespeare uses. Um, even little things by Banquo saying like, hey, you can see which seeds are going to grow. Mm-hmm. And um, Macbeth later on says, my heart is knocking. Well, he says like, my heart is knocking against my ribs in a way that is unnatural. He says, um, I am Thane of Cawdor. If good, why do I yield to that suggestion whose horrid image doth unfix my hair and makes my seated heart knock at my ribs against the use of nature? Um, so there's all these little phrases um, that are dropped in uh, the, the, the sort of the body la- the, of language that Shakespeare uses that lead us to say, OK, this is what's at play um, uh, This is sort of an interpretive tool that we can use. Shakespeare is giving us. In the words that he chooses, in his diction, he's giving us a lens to interpret uh, the story. Um, And at least for this, uh, my interpretation of this is that to do a great evil, you have to step outside of the natural order of things. Um, And the character of the witches I, I find so fascinating as these these agents that seem to allow people to do this. Like, why are they doing this? What are the witch's motivation? Um, are they just jerks? Um, is Lady Macbeth like one of them? I don't know. I just, I, I, I find that concept of the witch um, to be a really fascinating one. Are they, are they evil? I mean, they, they bring about evil ends but they're almost like catalysts to human evil like Macbeth no, they're totally evil that but, one asked that lady for nuts and the lady's like I don't want to give you nuts and she's like I'll kill your husband yeah, like nah. they overreact just a little and then the other one's like what do you have and she's like I got a thumb from a guy who crashed like yeah. they're, <laughs> I wouldn't yes. say they're exactly wholesome no they're not wholesome but it's like um, but if they're evil they don't exist isn't that it's like how do they get that way they, there is something good to corrupt oh, wow, okay. they have really nice beards wow. <laughs> wonderful um, like, so do fun, they serve a function anyway fun thing graham is when remember when we were last we we had a podcast before this one that was short-lived and only populated to like i think how many people listened to it like three yeah it, it was my a long, mom your mom yeah it was I, a long time I ago i listened to it oh, you, my, you, you, you posted on soundcloud mm-hmm. i listened to that yeah episode. it was uh it was five episodes one act for each one, one episode for each act of you all, i don't believe you all posted all the episodes uh, it was not great. Sure. Um, but one of the things we noticed was a, a repetition of like birds showing up here. And do you remember that? Mm. How we like the birds are a thing. I just looked and when the birds are mentioned, it's when Duncan is arriving at the castle and his presence, nature is reacting positively. Mm-hmm. Like birds are bedding down. They're having a good time. They are singing his entrance. So when he enters, nature is react, reacting in a good way. I, I've always wondered about that because you guys kind of convinced me there's mm-hmm. something going on there. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it the picture only becomes complete when you realize that it's it's set in juxtaposition with the abuses of nature that happen later. Mm-hmm. Yes. Cool. Um, my point is made. I mean, I, I don't really have much more to add to All it. Right. Um, just that, uh, Shakespeare's cool. Shakespeare's cool. No, your point is about nature that this establishment of authority in particular, right? Mm -hmm. That there are more consequences to throwing that order aside Mm -hmm. than just you get a different King or Mm -hmm. something that is not at peace in 
the world itself at that point. Yes. Um, and how, what, if this is, how would, how do we, how do we as people who live in a Republican form of government and a, in a constitutional, sorry, Ron, that's Canada, um, that we live in a Republican form of government in the United States where we have representative government, like, do we have us, do we have metaphors that have to do with this? We don't have kings, um, but uh, I don't know. I'm just like, does does that metaphor kind of die with the era of the kings? This idea of that there's a natural order to the universe, um, or is I was gonna say, or is nature waiting for a king to return? I was like, oh wait, yes, actually, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I feel like that's a good end, right? Yeah. yeah sure. Is that is that um, nature waits like the, for its king? It's almost like the Middle Ages was a um, and having the the government set up in a monarchy was kind of like a pastiche or kind of like a, um, a prefiguration. Yeah, a prefiguration of how God's holy order is established. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what they thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I can be accused as a monarchist in the comments or whatever. It's and right. They would be right. <laughs> um, and also an aristocrat, yeah. yes. dirty, dirty aristocrat. Yep. Um, all right. So this has been the classical stuff you should know. You can find us on the twits. You can email us at classical stuff. The guys at classical stuff.net. You can find our website, classical stuff. Is it just classical stuff? Our website? Yeah, yes. That's okay. Um, and then you can find us on Patreon and you can support us there if you want. We have all kinds of goodies for you. If you do, including banter before the episodes and an AMA every month and some other fun things that you can have, including my episodes from quarantine. Those are now for our Patreon subscribers. Cool. So yeah, you can find us all there. Uh, we're glad you're listening and that's it from us. Happy holidays and stuff. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Bye.